How is everybody? Oh my, my gosh. Let's get one thing straight. This is a room filled of people who want to grow in leadership, become better leaders, right? So when I say, how is everybody? You're like, you answer like leaders answer. Like alpha, alpha lions. How is everybody? It's good, good, awesome. All right. Hey, thank you for coming out tonight. Um, so it's quarter past seven. The plan is that I'll be, I'll be all done by eight and then we can have some dessert. We're going to heat up some donuts. We've got some ice cream, some cake and other bits and pieces. So um, what was that? Sounds so healthy. Yep. Leaders do eat that type of food, actually. All right. You're not going to be a problem tonight, are you guys? Good grief. All right. Sweet. Let's, let's get into it. All right, so uh, in case you missed it last, uh, who was here for the last one? All right, most of you were. That's good, except Brad. Um, so <laughs> in case you missed it last time, uh, so we talked about uh, Leadership 101. So the goal is to do one of these nights every month for 10 months of the year, so 10 sessions all together. So the last one was called Leadership 101. This one I've decided to call Leadership 102. Going to mix it up just a little bit. Any guesses on what next month will be? Okay. Leadership 103, that's right. So last one we talked about like the very, the foundation of all leadership and the foundation of all leadership is self-leadership, right? It's not rocket science. If you can't get excited about following yourself, then no one else is going to get excited about following you. Uh, if you can't get excited about the life that you're leading or the vision that you're carrying or the passion that you have, uh, then no one else is going to get excited about it. And we all know people who, uh, whose lives we look at and we go, mm, I would not want to live the way that they live. I would not want a marriage like that marriage or I wouldn't want to raise my kids the way that they raise their kids or I don't think they've got a healthy work-life balance. And so all of us recognize when someone doesn't have their life together and we intrinsically do not want to follow someone that we can see does not have their life together. So if you want to grow in leadership, it all starts uh, with self-leadership. And like I said uh, last month, which I'll say again because you're are a few new people here. When we're talking about leadership, I don't mean that you are the boss. I don't mean that you have a title or a position because you might be here tonight thinking, well, I don't lead a team. I don't have a group of people that are responsible to me. Uh, John Maxwell says that leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. So what we're talking about tonight is how to grow in influence. And we are all called as believers to have influence over the people in our world. You're called to influence your family. You're called to influence your friends. You're called to influence people by the way that you live. People should look at your lives. Hey, Robin, look at your life and say, I want, to, I want my life to look like that life. Like there's something about Wendy. There's something about her passion. There's something about her values. There's something about the way that she lives that I just... I want to be like that. That's what influence looks like. And so if leadership is a bit of a, uh, a word that you kind of struggle to identify with, then just replace it with influence. We're going to talk about that then. doesn't really matter. So the secret or the foundation of all leadership is self-leadership. You've got to start with yourself, right? Before you can lead others, you must learn to lead yourself. It's pretty obvious stuff. So all leadership starts with self-leadership and all self-leadership starts with self-awareness. So the foundation of leadership is leading yourself and the key to leading yourself is to have self-awareness. We all know what it's like to work for people, be around people who lack self-awareness. No man 
can produce great things who is not thoroughly sincere in dealing with himself. The best foundation for future success is self-awareness in the present. And you will remember we talked about four elements of self-awareness. Can anyone remember what the four elements were, Michael? Don't read off your book, you cheat. Can you remember what they were? I'll, I'll run through them really quickly. So they were awareness, understanding, uh, communication, and impact. And so the four elements of self-awareness, which is the absolute key to self-leadership, which is in turn the key to all leadership, is that you have to, first of all, have an awareness of yourself. So if you're in some sort of interaction, you are aware of of what's happening in your body. You are aware that you're raising your voice. You are aware that you are panicking. You are aware that you have a tendency to run when conflict comes or to bail on a conversation or to avoid hard chats. You've got an awareness around the way that you're wired. That's the very first level of self-awareness. Most people have that. Oh, it's a big spit. Most people have that. Most people, if you said, hey, you know, how do you handle conflict? Most people would be able to go, ah, oh, I don't like it. I freeze up or I just get loud or, or whatever. Most people are able to go, man, I got really angry in that situation or you know, I lost a little bit of control. Where most people fall over and where they stop is they don't progress to that next element, which is understanding. That is so much harder to do than it sounds, which is to actually get underneath why you are or what you're doing to the why you're doing it. So we all understand that we feel anger sometimes, but how many people recognize that anger is what we call a secondary emotion, which means that there is always a, an emotion that you experience or feel first, and that triggers the anger. You're never just angry. You're always angry because of something. But most people will just go, oh, I'm just so angry, without taking the time to understand why they're feeling angry. So understanding is super, super important. Most people never get there. The third level was communication, right? So that's the ability to communicate to somebody else why you're feeling what you're feeling. So particularly useful in marriage, but it's useful in all forms of leadership to be able to say, hey, when you did this, this was how I reacted. This is actually why I reacted the way that I did. This is the nerve that you were hitting. Uh, if you can't communicate that to somebody, you don't understand it well enough. So don't tell yourself that I understand what's going on in my life. If all the people around you don't understand, then you probably don't because you're not communicating it well. And then the last one is impact. And that's the ability to recognize how your uh, actions are impacting the people around you. So I have an issue with Micah. Micah and I have an argument. I get really offended that she told me that she doesn't like my T-shirts or that it looks like Mickey's stretched a little bit more than he used to be. right? And so I kind of bite her head off. Uh, and so I developed this culture around my life where no one can give me any sort of negative feedback because of how I completely fly off. We all have people that we know, probably someone that we love, that at some point or another we've gone, you know what, I actually can't be honest with that person because of the way that they respond. So impact is really important. And then um, that was all part of like this four-part series that we did last month. So when it comes to leadership, you've got to be intentional. Don't think you're just going to grow as a leader because you get older. Some of the least developed people I know are some of the oldest people that I know. Um, develop awareness, practice reflection. We talked about how uh, experience is not a great teacher. It's evaluated experience that's a great teacher. That's why we all know people that go through the same stuff over and over and over again, never actually learning anything from it. Uh, you have to top, stop and take the time to evaluate 
the experiences that you've had, and then also to evaluate your environment. So take a look at the people around you. Are they helping you grow? Are they encouraging you to grow? Uh, and then also, you know, the spaces and places that you're in. So now you're all caught up. That was last month. You just saved yourself 45 minutes, didn't even have to come. If you don't come next month, then you can just come the month after, and I'll recap it in five minutes, and you'll be fine. So tonight, what I want to do is I want to talk about what I think is, is probably, if not the biggest obstacle, definitely one of the biggest obstacles in your life for becoming a great leader, or even just becoming the best version of yourself. One of the things I love about leadership stuff is that if you throw yourself into it, all the things that you're learning are just helping you to become the best version of yourself. You're learning things like patience. You're learning things like conflict resolution. You're learning things like uh, understanding. You're learning things like uh, you know healthy boundaries. All that stuff just helps you become a better person. So even if you're thinking, I don't know if I ever want to be an actual leader, leader, this stuff is all going to help you live the best life possible. And what we're talking about tonight, you can definitely apply to just living the best life possible. So the biggest thing that's going to get in your way when it comes to being all that God's called you to be. But before we start, though, and to make my point, let's play a little game called Opposites. Now, again, you're all leaders, so I know you're going to participate 100%. So I'll put a word up on the screen, and I want you to yell out the complete opposite of the word that you see on the screen, all right? Nice and loud. So if I put up, you know, black, you're going to yell out... There you go. All right. So, and I want you to do it just as fast as you can. I just want to kind of get the ball rolling. So, what's the opposite of this word? All right. Next one. Next one. Next one. Next one. Oh, you all fell into my trap. How many people said that failure is the opposite of success? You saw the word success, you went failure. This is the big problem that, that all of us walk around with, is that we have this idea that failure is the opposite of success. And listen, as long as you believe that failure lives over here and success lives over here, you will never do anything awesome with your life. Because you can never do anything awesome with your life as long as you think that failure is a bad thing. And if you think that failure is the opposite of success, then all of the good things that you put with success, you ascribe the opposite to when it comes to failure. So if success is good, then failure is bad. If success is something to aspire to, then failure is something that you should avoid. If success is something to be proud of, then failure is something you should be ashamed of. If you have this mindset that failure is the opposite of success, you will never do anything amazing. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about this idea that failure is actually not the opposite of success. It is absolutely critical to success. Failure is not the opposite of success. It, it works in tandem with success. If you take failure out of your life, you take any opportunity to ever be successful out of your life because failure is like the most important ingredient when it comes to success. Who knows what this animal is? It is actually called um, an impala. And I learned about this while I was up in Hamilton at a conference. There was a speaker that talked about it, and it just, oh, like, what an amazing analogy. He wasn't talking about failure, but it was still awesome. This beautiful animal can leap to a height of 10 feet. So I'm six feet tall. I'm on a stage. It would be, honest, it would be like this high. Off, off the ground where you're sitting, this is how high it can get. And it can leap to a distance of up to 33 feet. 
So if, if I was standing here and it came running, it, it could pretty much leap our whole stage in like a single bound. It is a very springy animal. But if you go to the likes of Willowbank or you know, Rana Park or any kind of wildlife reserve, you will see impala kept in captivity in fields that are surrounded by a concrete fence or a concrete wall that is only three feet high. So how is it that a wall that is only three feet high can keep an animal that can leap literally three times that height? It is because there is something in an impala's brain that will not let it jump if it cannot see where it's going to land. So all you have to do is build a fence that's just this much higher than its eyesight and it'll never leave. And I think that a lot of us are like the Impala. We are capable of extraordinary things. There's amazing things that we could do, and yet we never do anything because we're too terrified that if we take a leap, we're not going to know where it's going to end up. We're going to run the risk of making a mistake, getting something wrong. Maybe the rug's going to be pulled out from under us. Maybe it's not going to look like we think it's going to look like. And so many of us never end up doing anything fantastic or mentionable or noteworthy because we're too scared of making a mistake. And so what we're going to do tonight is just look at this idea of failure. We're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So I'm going to give you three statements tonight, and I want you to write them down if you're taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, you should be taking notes, because otherwise you're not going to remember 90% of what I say. But three statements tonight, and then as you drive home and over your coming weeks, I want you to be meditating over this, this concept, these ideas. The first statement is, like I said, failure is the absolute ingredient you know, to success, the key ingredient of success. It's like if failure were your left leg and success were your right leg, the way you move forward in life is by failing and then getting it right, by getting it wrong and then by getting it right. If you cut failure out, you're just going to be walking around in circles your whole life, right? Let me, let me put it to you another way. It's impossible to succeed without failing, even let me make it simpler. Failure equals good. All right? That's what I'm trying to trying to say tonight. Failure is good. In their book, uh, Art and Fear, these two guys called David Bales and Ted Orland, they talk about the ceramics teacher who took her ceramics class and broke them into two separate groups. And to one group, she said, hey, uh, I'm going to mark your work at the end of the term uh, based on quantity. You make as many pieces of ceramics of you know pots or whatever it is that they make in this room make as many as you want don't worry about how good they are I don't care how good they are I'm going to mark you on how many pieces you can get made by the end of the term to the second group she said I'm going to do the opposite with you you're allowed to make one piece but you make that piece the most beautiful piece that you've you could possibly make you pour your heart and soul into it you make that an absolute work of art that one piece is going to be your you know statue of David essentially well, at the end of the term, all of the best pieces came from the first group. All of the best pieces came from the group that she said, don't worry about how many you make. Just go nuts. Because what happened is over the course of the term, they learned from all of their mistakes. They learned about how far, how, you know, how much was too much in the kiln. They learned about the spinning of the stuff. They learned what worked and what didn't work. They, they had complete freedom to make as many mistakes as they wanted. And that freedom to make all the mistakes that they wanted 
is what led them to make all these beautiful things. Going through all these stages of failure allowed them to learn from each one and improve their next piece. They learned that failing wasn't bad. Failing is good. And this other group, they were only allowed to make one piece, were so terrified of getting it wrong, terrified of making a mistake, that they never took any risks with their pieces, never took any chances. When we give ourselves permission to fail, we give ourselves permission to excel. Failure is good. Now, let me give you uh, three rules for failure. Um, So that you do fail well. First one, you want to fail fast. So very often the difference between a big failure, which actually derails you for quite a length of time, or it takes a lot to bounce back from, and a small failure that you can take in your stride is often knowing when to admit that you failed. So the irony is that if you have a healthy attitude towards failure, if you accept that failure is good, that it's a part of the learning process, that it's not something to be ashamed of, that actually it's something to be proud of, that it means that you're making progress, then you're much quicker to pull the trigger when you recognize that something isn't working. But conversely, if you've got an unhealthy attitude towards failure and you're trying to avoid it, you're much more likely to persist in something that really is a bit of a dead horse and you end up making it a lot worse for yourself. Now, there's a big difference between failing and quitting, right? So when I say fail fast, what I mean is get to a point where you go, you know what, this isn't working, this isn't quite getting the results that we were going for, this isn't happening the way that we wanted it to happen, let's pull back, let's go back to the drawing board, let's go back to you know, the, the whiteboard and let's work out a different approach, let's try this from a different angle. That's what I'm talking about when it comes to failure. Quitting is when you go, this isn't working, I give up, chuck the whole thing out, never going to try it again, you know, it didn't work, let's just flag the whole thing. Don't do that. When you fail, you want to fail fast. Another thing you want to do when you fail is you want to fail frequently. Failure is like anything else in life. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And the better you get at it, the less of a hold it has over your life. See, so many people are so terrified of failure, so determined to try and cut it out of their life. And unfortunately, as much as you try and cut failure out of your life, you can never cut it completely out, right? No matter your best intentions, it still pops up from time to time. And if you have no experience in it because you're so determined to not fail, when it does happen, it creates a big mess in your life. It completely throws you through the loop. Whereas if you fail frequently, it becomes something that you develop an immunity to. When I was in my mid-20s, Liz and I, this is the fun part where you get to hear about all my failures. Uh, Liz and I went to Australia. We'd been married, I think, two years and we went to the Gold Coast to do the whole surface paradise thing. Jared knows where I'm going. And, uh, and while we were there, we're just walking down surface paradise boulevard, you know, just loved up couple. I'm like 26. Liz is like 11. Uh, that's not true. That's not right. She's younger than me, but not that much younger. Delete that from the recording. Um, and, and this guy comes up to us and he's like, hey, you guys want free tickets to SeaWorld? And I went, yeah, I want free. It's like $120 per ticket. So yeah, I want free tickets. I said, what's the catch? He said, no catch. You just have to watch a timeshare presentation. So here we go. But I said to Liz, you know what? Like, let's just go watch. It's like an hour and a half. And then we get essentially $250 worth of free stuff. Like that works out. It's like a hundred bucks an hour sort of thing um, per person. So we went to it and we didn't save $250. We spent 20 grand. 
And I don't know what to tell you except the guy was a really good salesman. <laughs> and, and by the time we finished this three-hour presentation, I genuinely did not understand how I had lived my whole life without a timeshare. It just seemed such a critical part of my life. And so we, we made a call to the bank and we extended our mortgage and we bought it on the spot. And we were like, yeah. And then we carried on with our holiday and we were just so blissfully happy that this is going to be our life from now on. Like every holiday we have, it's going to be like five-star hotels and we've paid for everything. And oh my gosh, go home and tell all our friends about it. And then, and then I got home and the euphoria of our holiday wore off. And I just had this thought, it popped into my head, what the hell have I done? And yeah, yeah, I got the tickets to SeaWorld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was cool. Yeah, that's, yeah. And the point of the story is we got to go to SeaWorld. So. And, and so I had this thought. I thought, I should, I should Google the timeshare that I've bought. I don't know why it didn't occur to me at the time. Because now it's like two weeks later. And so I Google that. I literally, I just Google the timeshare. And within 30 seconds, I discover this thing that I did not know was a thing. But it's basically trade me for timeshares. It's, it's this website that people go to that have bought timeshares and then regretted it and then have tried to sell them on the secondhand market. And I found like a dozen people selling my timeshare for $10,000. And I had this thought, I've, I've spent $20,000 on something that if I had just Googled, I could have got for 10. And I thought I was going to be sick. And then it turned out the timeshare was not what we thought. There were all of these hidden expenses and they kept charging us money and then we couldn't get into the places. It was an absolute nightmare. And so in the end, in desperation, I rang this website and I said, hey, I would like to sell my timeshare. Um, how does this work? And they said, well, we buy it off you. And then off you go into the sunset, you're released from your contract. Because the way timeshare, not only had we bought it, but we were legally obligated to pay them uh, a set fee every year until 2080. Right? And it was, it was like $1,000 a year, and it was going up every year with the rate of inflation for the next 72 years or something like that. And so I was like, what have I done? got myself into and so I said hey what's you know like you're selling them for 10 grand how does this work they said yeah we buy it off you and and then we sell it and we keep the money I said great well how much will you give me for it and they said well at the moment your time is worth $1,700 they said but we can't buy it off you right now I said why not they said because we've got a waiting list of like 40 people that have all want to sell the timeshare. So maybe in like six months we can sell it for you. It, you know, it was like I was like so mortified at this huge mistake, right? A couple of years later, I bought a business. I already had a couple of businesses, but I thought I need another one. And this one looked like really fun. And so I bought the business. It cost $25,000 to buy the business. And I spent maybe ten dollars or $15,000 importing stock from China and dealing with Chinese importers. And that was a whole you know, world in and of itself, if you've ever tried to deal with China. And in the end, the business didn't work and I had to sell it. And I sold it for $15,000. And I lost you know, $25,000 on the business deal. But it didn't hurt nearly as much. Didn't, I wasn't nearly as phased. And, and then we decided to build our house. And I thought, you know what would be a good thing to do? If I, if I buy all of my 
building materials secondhand from earthquake damaged houses. I'll buy like the windows and the doors and all that kind of stuff. I'll save myself a bucket load of money. So I spent $20,000 buying all of this kind of stuff. And then God said to me, you can't use any of that stuff to build your house. You've got to sell it. And so I sold it. And everything that I spent $20,000 on, I got like $6,000 for. Lost like 14 grand. You know what? I didn't even care. I was like, eh, I've, I've, I've lost more. <laughs> you know, I've done worse. <laughs> It's not a big deal. You know, like failing frequently. I mean, like, I, if you want to lose money, come to me. And I'm awesome at it now. Like, I fail at losing money all the time, right? You know, but I learned this lesson. I learned that, you know, money's just, it's just a thing. Sometimes you have it and then you give it to Josh and then you don't have it. And sometimes, you know, some people have more of it and some people have less of it. It's just a commodity that, 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 it has no tangible value, you know, and you can lose tens of thousands of dollars and your wife still loves you as long as you don't tell her and your kids love you. And um, I, yeah, Liz was aware of everything. It's fine, right? My point is that don't, maybe not to that grander scale, but when you fail, fail frequently. And the more you fail, the less power it has over you. The more you fail, the more you realize this is not the end of the world. It's going to be okay. And I could tell, like, I've learned so many lessons from my failures. If there was, I wish I could go back and it hadn't cost me like $70,000 or whatever it is that I've you know, wasted money on in the time. But uh, I learned so many lessons. Like, I learned a lot about like, never make an important decision when you're on holiday. <laughs> when you're walking on. Now, you're looking at me like, duh. Like, I learned that and I didn't have to buy a $20,000 timeshare. Well, good for you. Right? Another thing you want to do if you want to fail well is you want to fail forward, right? And so failing forward means just that you, when you fail, you're still failing in the direction that you want to go in life, right? You're not failing backwards. You're not ending up more entrenched in fear and risk and doubt than you were before. And so the key to failing forward is to just ask yourself the question, what can I learn from this? As long as you're learning, then you're winning, it's a really corny saying, and Jared teases me for saying it, but it's a quote like, I never, I, I never lose. I either win or I learn. I win or I learn. And a learning can be turned into a win. And as long as you've got this attitude that you never lose, you, even if you buy a stupid freaking timeshare and it feels like you've lost at the time, like if you're learning from it, then you're okay. Because success is not a destination, right? It's a journey. It's, it's about becoming the best version of yourself. It's about learning patience and perspective and all this kind of stuff, right? So when you fail, just take the time to say to yourself, okay, what can I learn from this? I'm going to, I'm going to grow through this process and I'm going to fail forward. So you want to fail fast, you want to fail frequently, and you want to fail forward. And as long as you're doing those three things, you're going to come out okay. Because failure is the key ingredient of success. That's my first thought. Second thought tonight is that when you fail, you are not a failure. This is super important, right? There is a massive difference between failing at something and being a failure. The problem that so many of us have is we can't separate the two. So we fail at something and we feel that that somehow makes us a failure as a, a failure as a mum, failure as a husband, failure as a wife, failure as you know uh, an employee, whatever it might be. I love this quote by a guy called Grantland Rice, who is uh, was a sports writer back in the 20th century. He says, "Failure isn't so bad if it doesn't attack the heart. Success is all right if it doesn't go to the head." I just really like it. 
Like failure is not so bad if it doesn't attack the heart. Success is all right if it doesn't go to the head. And so we need to learn to keep external failures external. Don't internalize an external failure. I spent $20,000 on a timeshare. It was a mistake. But let's keep it external. It doesn't change who I am. It doesn't make me a failure. I bought a business. I lost money on it. Doesn't mean that I am a failure as a business person. I could give you other success stories about businesses, but that's not nearly as entertaining. Let me just prove my point by throwing a few people up on the screen and telling you their stories. Who knows who this is? Vincent van Gogh. How many people would say that Vincent van Gogh is a success as an artist? I mean, if you want to buy a Vincent van Gogh painting, it's going to cost you in excess of $100 million. I put his face on the screen. You guys all know who he is. He is very much a successful artist, except he was surrounded by failure. Vincent van Gogh failed as an art dealer. He flunked his entrance exam into theology school, and after a failed attempt at missionary work, got fired by his church. A lot of failure in Vincent van Gogh's life. In fact, how many paintings do you think he sold before he died? One. Four months before he died, he sold one painting. It would be very tempting to look at Vincent van Gogh and say, you are a failure, but he's not. He's an incredible success. He just had failings. He failed at some things that did not make him a failure. Albert Einstein, a very successful person, right? How many people would look at this photo and go, oh, Albert Einstein, man, what a failure in life he was. Didn't really matter. I mean, that guy is a success, right? Except he got expelled from school as a kid. Another teacher predicted he would never amount to anything, and he failed his university entrance exam. A lot of failures in Albert Einstein's life did not make him a failure. Um, Michael Jordan, right, probably the most, one of the most famous sports people of all time, got dropped from his uh, sophomore basketball team, missed over 1,200 shots, lost nearly 400 games, and personally missed on 25 occasions the match-winning shot which if it had sunk, would have won them the game. 25 times he missed that shot. So many failures in Michael Jordan's life, and yet he never internalized any of them. At no point did he ever consider himself a failure, no matter how many times he failed. Abraham Lincoln, I think we would all agree, one of the greatest leaders of all time. When he went away to war for the very first time, he came back with a lower rank than when he left. He got demoted while he was away. He went bankrupt twice failed businesses, and he ran for office and was defeated 26 times before he finally became president of the United States, right? A lot of failure in Abraham Lincoln's life did not make him a failure. Who knows who this is? Disney, right? Disney got fired from a newspaper by an editor that said he lacked imagination and had no good ideas, this guy went on to become literally like the father of imagination, right? Um, surrounded by failure, also went bankrupt, failed in business, kept trying, and eventually found a success uh, or a recipe for success that works. Speaking of recipes for success, who knows who this guy is? Do you know how many times Colonel Sanders submitted his uh, deep fried chicken recipe to restaurants to get them to sell it? 1,009. Over a 1,000 restaurants said, I'm not going to sell that stuff. And so in the end, he said, you know what? I'll just open my own restaurant and sell it. He did all right out of it. 
right? Failure after failure after failure, but he never internalized it. He never said, I am a failure. He just said, okay, that's a fail, but that doesn't mean that I am a failure. What about this guy, Thomas Edison? Also a pretty successful guy. Got fired from his first two jobs. Uh, In his early years, he was told by his teachers he was too stupid to learn anything. When he was trying to invent the light bulb, he invented uh, or failed over a thousand times. And it's on record, right? As his assistant came to him and said, look, why don't you just quit? You've failed a thousand times. And Edison said, I haven't failed a thousand times. I've successfully discovered a thousand ways how not to make a light bulb, right? Like that's, that was his mindset. These are all people that recognize that you can fail. That does not make you a failure. This guy is called Stephen King. I've never read a Stephen King novel But the very first novel that he wrote was called Carrie, which got made into a movie. haven't seen the movie either. He submitted this novel to over 30 different publishers. They all said, no, you can't write. He ended up throwing his novel, his manuscript in the trash, and his wife had to go and fish it out when he wasn't looking, dusted it off, put it back on his desk, and said, don't give up, Stephen. And now he's probably one of the most famous authors you know, of our time. He failed over and over and over again, but he knew that that did not make him a failure, right? When you fail, you're not a failure. And those are just literally, like you just Google successful people that have failed. Um, every single successful person you ever hear about has failed at something, but they understand that you don't externalize failure. So the first thing we learned was that failure is an incredibly important part of success, Now we know that when you fail, you are not a failure, and I'm almost done. The third thing that I want you to remember is that failure is almost never fatal. I wanted to write down failure is never fatal, but I knew there'd be some smart aleck in the audience that would come up with some kind of scenario where you could fail in a fatal way. So I wrote down failure is almost never fatal, and I could add, and if it is fatal, it's probably nothing you need to worry about now. Right? The, the truth is about failure is that we all just need to get over ourselves. Like perspective is super important. I love this photo, right? It's a turtle upside down on his back. Oh my God, I'm flying. Right? Like perspective is everything. When it comes to failure, you need to just chill out. Stop stressing about what other people think of you. Stop stressing about what happens if it doesn't work out. Understand that when you cut failure out of your life, you cut success out of your life. Failure is an integral part of success. And as long as you learn to fail fast, fail frequently, fail forward, look for the lessons in the failure when you're experiencing the failure. As long as you never let what is always meant to be an external thing get inside of you, that's the hardest part. How many people, being honest, feel sometimes that if you fail at something, you internalize that failure a little bit. That that makes you feel, yeah, every hand in the room goes up, except the front row, because they know everyone can see them from behind. He's right to be writing stuff down. Like, I, I feel that too. When I, when I took on this church, one of the best pieces of advice that I got given was by uh, my friend Chris, who a lot of you have met. I think we'd been pastoring about three months, and we went down to visit them. They were looking after a church in Wanaka, and he asked how church was going, and I was like, mate, she's a bit rough. First three months were a little bit rocky, right? There was a lot of sifting and shifting and sorting and and stuff and um, I remember he just said to me he said Josh you don't have to prove anything it was just like one comment you don't have to prove anything and it was such I was like oh 
I don't have to prove anything. But the truth is that I felt a tremendous pressure to prove something. I felt a tremendous pressure to prove that, that the people that had put their faith in me had made a good decision. I didn't want to let people down. Um, I wanted, you know, like Sheridan who'd put me in the job and the elders of the church that had all said, hey, look, we think you're the right person for the job. I, I desperately wanted to prove that they were right. And Chris just said, hey, you don't, you don't need to prove anything because what was happening, which is what happens so often, is that we start to lose our identity in what we're doing. And when you lose your identity in what you're doing, then when you fail at what you're doing, then you fail at your identity. And so whether you're a pastor or an accountant or a mum or whatever it might be, like that's, that's not who you are. You can make a mistake during the day, and that doesn't mean that you are a mistake, right? Fundamentally, and I can say this because we're in a church, and as far as I know, everyone here are, are believers, but all you need to really remember is that you are God's son, you are God's daughter, he loves you, everything's going to be okay. Right? Fail fast, fail frequently, fail forward. Don't internalize and externalize things so you can fail and not be a failure. Uh, and then remember that failure is not fatal. Except I know you're thinking of situations where it could be fatal. Is that cool? Awesome. Are there any questions before we break for dessert and finish the evening? Wendy, have you got any questions? No? Good. Jared, you got any questions? Sure. We all good team? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Pardon? So actually what happened with the timeshare was I, I put it on Trade Me and I got eight and a half grand for it, which I was pretty stoked with because the best I was going to get was 1700 you know, from this other website. Uh, but most importantly, I was stoked to get out of that 80-year locked-in contract. It was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I had one moment where I felt like I'd been played because we had sat in this guy's office for like three hours and he was like two or three years older than us. Um, And as as we're walking down the hallway to sign the contract, I walked past uh, an office and there was an older couple sitting in there and the guy behind the desk was like 65. And I just remember walking past going, oh, they put him with them and they put him with, oh, I see. But I was too amazed by how awesome the deal was to, to care that much. So, And I'm not anti-timeshares. Like, they can be good if you get a good, a good deal. The other thing that I learned about myself too after going to a timeshare twice was that I like to go to different places. I don't have the personality that just goes to the same place every year for 25 years. You know? So we went and stayed there once. I was like, this is awesome. We went back the second time. I was like, eh. And then because we had the timeshare, I felt... I felt legally obligated to go stay there every time because we'd paid so much for it. So even if I wanted to go to like, you know, a different place, but no, we can't go there because we flipping paid money for the timeshare. Don't get me started, Kira. It's just, it was, yeah. The thing is, right, the first, when I did, I lost so much sleep for months. I was just absolutely beside myself because of the money situation. But it, it, it broke something over my life around money that now... Uh, if, if I did the same thing again, I would, I'd be annoyed for a couple of days. And every now and again, it might pop back up. I'd be like, oh, stupid mistake. But it, it wouldn't affect me to nearly the same extent. Yeah, it's you know, probably one of the better things to happen to me. Um, and obviously, God decided that the only way I could learn that lesson was to lose it. You know, might, that might be different for everybody. So. so dessert, we have got donuts. Maybe I'll just get Kira to jump out and whack them in the microwave so they're nice and hot. There's ice cream in the freezer as well, cheesecake other bits of cake. Thank you guys so much for coming out. I know you're coming out on a Wednesday night. 
I'll try and keep it short and sweet for you, less than 40 minutes. Um, it really comes down to how much thought you put into things moving forward. If you just take a bunch of notes, then go home and, you know, don't think about it, then you won't get a lot out of tonight. But if you go home and meditate about it, you know, talk to God about it. Um, good question to ask yourself, to challenge yourself, is when's the last time you failed at something? Talk about failing frequently. When was the last time you failed at something? Gave something a shot, didn't work out. Sometimes you, if you've got to think too far back, then I would encourage you to get a little bit more failure into your life. All right? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.